All right, well, today we are continuing in our series in the Gospel of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, and we've titled this uh, sermon series affectionately The Kingdom Manifesto. Uh, We're not trying to make any kind of political statement about it, but what we are trying to do is look at what God has to say about the culture and the norms and the values of his kingdom, which as we go throughout our world, whether it's here or anywhere else, um, we find examples of people who do not line up with that culture or standard. And that is both people outside the church and at times inside the church. Now, sometimes it's not as glaringly obvious as some of the more uh, hot sins that you might, you know, think about. Like, I don't know, there's lots of lists in the Bible about sins. Um, You know, we're not necessarily talking about, you know, uh, lust or sexual immorality or or thieving or or lying or, or that kind of thing. Sometimes we misrepresent Christ and his kingdom as people who bear his name. And sometimes we do that in little ways that can cause a lot of damage. And so today we're going to talk about one of those issues uh, that really has come to the forefront, I believe, in the last couple of years. It, It was kind of building to that point, but we've really hit a new level, I believe, in our society today. And that is the topic of judgment and judging. So the title today, I didn't get creative. This is going to be as rubber meets the road and, and clear as day as, I don't know, that I can even, I, I wasn't trying to be fancy with any of my points. I wasn't trying to do alliterations or anything. I'm just shooting it to you straight. So, We're talking about judging. Our passage is Matthew 7, 1 through 6, and verse 12. We'll talk about that in a moment. And the big idea that I believe is at the heart of this part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is not necessarily something that's mentioned directly, but I think really as Jesus talks about it, it's what hits me as I read it. And it reminds me of Jesus. And that's how compassion and mercy are at the heart of God's justice. Yes, God is a holy God. He is a righteous and just God. And yet, He is also compassionate and loving as well. And so we get to kind of see some of that tension today. But compassion and mercy are at the heart of God's justice. Um, You can go to the next slide. I wanted to talk about shoes for a moment because as we look towards our passage, I was reminded of an old adage that gets thrown around a lot that I learned, uh, I had heard said all growing up, but it didn't really click for me until I was in high school uh, reading the book To Kill a Mockingbird, where uh, there's this point in the story where the adage goes, Uh, walking a mile in someone else's shoes. And they use that in that book. And so 
Um, what's fascinating to me about shoes, this kind of cropped up for me probably about seven years ago or so, maybe six years ago, um, when I was a pastor in Albany, and I had this pair of shoes. I don't have the, the partner to it, but that's at home. I didn't grab the other one. But uh, I got this pair of shoes right before I was ordained for, uh, for pastoral ministry. And it, it was kind of this, I won't go into all the details, but I got it right before then. But I wore this pair of shoes almost every day. And what fascinated me about halfway through the year, uh, the camera doesn't do a close-up or, or anything, but uh, maybe you can take my word for it. There's this little worn part here that's in the center of my shoe where a certain pad of my foot tends to hit pretty hard. I also noticed as the year went on that, wow, the tread, <laughs> it got pretty non-existent. And so much so that I also have this leaning problem, apparently, where, um, where I, I like to lean on the edge of my foot. Um, and so this part is a lot more worn than this part. But what's probably most memorable to me about this shoe, you can take a look at it. It's, it, it needs a lot of love, you guys. It really does. It needs a cobbler's love. And I just haven't taken the time or money to take it down to a cobbler to get it taken care of. But there's lots of worn marks. There's certain creases where my toe would be when I don't know, I was working on something and there's different worn marks and, and maybe creases or, or tears and that kind of thing. And what fascinates me about these shoes is that you can tell a lot about a person by their shoes because you can tell where they've walked. You can tell kind of what they've gone through. Um, if they have super clean shoes, either they're not that active <laughs> which sometimes I'm guilty of, or kind of like uh, these white shoes that I have on right now, they get dirty pretty fast, um, uh, depending on where you go. And so shoes are kind of a nice illustration for our life because we can go around and we can kind of, we might make these small judgment calls about people depending on their shoes. Or... Maybe it's not actually their shoes. Maybe we're just making judgment calls about what we see on the outside. And we're looking at people and we make these judgments before we even know them, before we know their stories. And so then that's where you get the adage saying, walk a mile in that person's shoes. Or I think in, the, in To Kill a Mockingbird, it was like walk a year in their shoes or or something profound like that. But basically, the sum total is, if you were in their place, what would your life look like? What would you be experiencing? How would you respond? And so I think with that in mind, I think that's going to help us understand more of what Jesus is getting at in this passage. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 7 beginning in verse 1. It's up here on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Um, Matthew 7, verse 1. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, said, Judge not, 
that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Skipping down to verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Friends, this is the word of the Lord from Jesus. And that, that brings me to the first observation for today. You can go to the next slide. Is that judgment upholds a standard. Notice that I didn't say the standard but it upholds a standard. We all have these, uh, these preconceived notions about what is right and what is wrong. Now, I'm not here to tell you today that there is some kind of moral subjectivism, uh, although we try to, to entertain that in our culture today. Truth is truth, and you know, right is right and wrong is wrong. So don't misunderstand me there. But we have a lot of opinions We have a lot of critiques, maybe because of the way we were brought up in a certain way. Um, For example, you may be that kind of a person who um, you make your bed every morning right after you wake up. And then maybe you're the person who it doesn't get made and you just kind of climb in and you huddle it all around yourself. And maybe those two people are married together. And the judgment unfolds. And so there is some kind of, there is some kind of a standard that, that happens now. You all laugh because at some point you've experienced something like this. Uh, when Angie and I first got married, uh, things were going okay. Uh, Things were going good. This gal from church said, okay, so how are things going? How's married life? That famous question. And um, and Angie said, oh, it's going good. It's good. Um, And then the gal asked, so has he left the cap off of the toothpaste yet? The next day I happened to forget. And it was like, man, I can't catch a break. But anyway, so there are, there are standards that we have that we can judge other people on that we don't know why they have that standard or why they don't share our standard in that way. Now, the reason I, I'm making an emphasis on that is that within the Sermon on the Mount, we've been talking a lot about God's standard. We spent a good number of weeks where Jesus was giving us examples of how high the standard truly is. 
and where he is saying, set your aim for. And that reveals how we need grace. We'll talk about that in a moment. But where that's really how high the standard is, and that is God's standard. But what I, as I've been wrestling with this passage all week, what I get the impression of as I read the words of Jesus is we're not talking about judgment for the sake of correcting people to God's standard. It's really correcting people to our standard or the preconceived notions that we have. And sometimes it comes across more as accusation than, you know, loving correction. Now, here would be an example. Man, uh, so let's say you were around my daughter Maggie, who, man, she is just such an advocate for justice. It's incredible. Um, but then let's say there, you know, you're in conversation. You may have had this happen before. She'll say to you, now, I recommend that you do this this way. <laughs> or can I give you a tip? And I just, I go in the corner and I kind of go like this to myself because I think, girl, people don't want to hear that. They want to do their own thing. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't uh, necessarily matter and maybe the tip is a good tip, but sometimes, I don't know, it's not the appropriate moment for it. Uh, and in heated arguments with my children in the last couple of days, we've all been, you know, kind of quarantined together, you know, trying not to share our cold with the rest of the world. And I mean, there have been nitpicky accusations left and right. You did this. No, you did that. And, and everybody trying to uphold some manner of justice and it just turns into a mess. All the while, God's standard is, you know, somewhere left of center and, or we're left of center where his, his standard might be. And so I think judgment upholds a standard. And when Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged, I don't think he's saying, literally, you will never judge people. I think he's, what is being communicated here is you need to practice wisdom in how you judge people because there's something deeper to it. And so uh, you can go to, to the next slide there. Because as we read about in verses, oh, where is it at? Um, three and four, where it says, Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? And so Jesus gives us that picture where both people have a problem. And one person thinks they have the moral high ground and the other person does not. And they need to try to correct what's ever in them to bring them up to some sort of moral high ground. And the truth is, everyone has issues where they don't measure up. We all have sin. There's that famous verse from Romans. It's either chapter 3 or chapter 6. I can't remember, but it's the one that says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all sin. Whether that's, you know, the hot button issues or it's the sin of making or not making your bed in the morning. We all have issues. And a lot of times we can get consumed with 
our rightness or the feeling of wanting to be right so much so that we forget that the person we're trying to to help supposedly that's another person who has issues where maybe whatever it is that we're trying to correct is something that is a symptom of something deeper and maybe there's a bigger story to it and for us to just issue that correction like a hammer it would just crush them and maybe drive them farther from the lord and so i think what jesus is getting at here with the you know judge not that you be not judged you know with the measure you use it will be measured to you and the speck and the log and that whole dynamic there i think what he's trying to say is we need to have some kind of empathy and compassion to other people that even though we may have said yes to Jesus and said, yes, I received that gift of salvation. And yes, I want forgiveness. I want to walk this life with you, Jesus. I want all that that has for me. That doesn't give us some kind of moral high ground. Because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And we all need grace we all need god's compassion and mercy and for people who have said that we have received that we need to be willing to give that back to other people as well and so compassion and mercy are at the heart of god's justice because i think not to say that right is not right or that you know, that whole confusing thing. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I do think that what God gets at is that although there is this standard and although he is holy and he, he requires that of us, that's why he sent Jesus. And that's why we can now be forgiven and set free and be raised up to that standard, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything he's done for us. And so how we deal with each other, how, how we relate with one another in this kind of judgment or, or, or critiques or accusations, we need to be careful that we're not slipping into something beyond the compassion and mercy of God. Because God's heart is that all would come to repentance. And there's also a verse, I'm, I'm forgetting the address now, I think it's in Romans 1 or 2 or something, where it says that God's mercy or God's kindness leads us to repentance. It's not that, that condemning word, it's the kindness of God that brings us to him, that makes it winsome for us to want to go and be with him. And it's going to be that way for other people as well, whether they are inside the family or they're not yet inside the family and so everyone has issues we need to not forget that because compassion and mercy are at the heart of god's justice and us receiving the unjust undeserved reward of grace should remind us that god had compassion for you and for me all right you can go to the next slide 
third observation I have is that restoration starts with us. It starts with us. I've included this picture of a cobbler. Shoes. Uh, I've been, uh, this week, as I've been sick and trying to recover, I found myself falling victim to uh, YouTube videos, uh, specifically ones about shoes because those fascinate me, and specifically how cobblers restore a shoe. And oftentimes, what it starts with is they, like the picture has there, I, it may not be that clear. Oh, no, that's actually pretty good. But where he's taking this tool and he's ripping it off, he's removing this worn part, this, you know, this broken part, one, say, one might say. For example, on this shoe, it is a broken part. <laughs> there is, uh, it's worn through here. You could touch the bottom of the, uh, of the padding there, and water would get in if I stepped in a puddle. And so what a cobbler would do is they'd take this tool and they'd rip off this sole and they would uh, begin the process of restoring, which would be cleaning up whatever's inside, replacing it with certain elements, and then start to rebuild from there a restoring process that also includes the rest of the shoe, by the way, um, to then give you a wonderful, almost like new pair of shoes, but really it's just the old one. Now what this speaks to me is that in verse 5, uh, Jesus said, uh, I'm finding verse 5 here, um, he says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, there are some things that we can do on our own, of our own volition, that we can take steps towards that restoration process to remove those things from our life that are holding us back and are actually coming between us and our relationship with God, the things that are coming between us and aligning ourselves with God and His will and His way, that standard of his kingdom, that high standard of his kingdom, there's things we can do. There's things we can cut out. Whether that's a certain kind of media that we consume. Uh, we're in the season of Lent right now as, as the church, uh, as, you know, global church, and that's a season of preparation. Uh, I know we, we're not specifically practicing it, but we have brothers and sisters who are. Um, where you give up something, to get closer with God, but then also there's things that we give up because they're really not God's good for our lives. Like the log that's in our eye. Now, uh, at this point in the talk that Jesus was giving to his disciples, that hyperbole kind of language, that probably would have uh, uh, drawn out a few chuckles from the crowd because it's like, well, that's ridiculous. How can you have a, a log in your eye? It, he's using it on purpose to say, you have your own issues, and somebody else does too. But restoration, ultimately, it starts with us. And also, as it starts with us, there's things that we don't have the power to change. Only God has the power to change. 
And so in that place where we know that we need help, we have this log in our eye. What's not mentioned in the passage, but I think is implied by just the walk that we have with Jesus and, and the Christian faith is that when it becomes too much for us to just do the natural things of cutting this out, removing that, doing this, and, you know, what we can do in our own strength, we also need to rely on God and say, Holy Spirit, would you come and help me with this? Because I got this log in my eye that I can't do anything about. And it's keeping me from community. It's keeping me from family and that restoration that I know that you want me to have. And so it starts with us. And that's also where we find that God's compassion and mercy kind of gets knit into the fiber of our beings because we realize how much we need that compassion because we don't measure up and we need help just as much as the next person. Now, in the heat of the moment, sometimes it's easy to forget and the accusations start flying. Well, you did this and you're like this and you're doing this and that's wrong and all of this. And really, we need to maybe take a step back and say, okay, Holy Spirit, is there something you're trying to reveal to me right now? Where maybe this is something, maybe I'm noticing the speck in the other person's eye because that speck is an awful lot like the log that's in my own and I need to repent of things. Maybe I need to work on this. Would you help me? Would you help me work on this? It starts with us. Now, the fourth thing, uh, which it's kind of an interesting uh, I don't know, just, it, it's an interesting phrase. Uh, in verse 6 where it talks about the dogs and the pigs. It's like, Jesus, what are you doing there? <laughs> it's, it's fascinating. And uh, depending on the translation, they might, uh, they might uh, add a space there because they don't really quite know what to do with that um, because it doesn't, exactly fit what came before and it doesn't exactly fit what came after but what i find interesting about it is that what as i was wrestling with it is that there is something holy and treasured like a pearl that we give to other people and we can either receive that or we can rebel and reject it. And I believe that that truth, that, that, that holy good, is God's standard. You know, maybe our motivation is pure. Maybe we've been dealing with the log in our own eye, and we notice something in a brother's eye or, or a sister, and we say, you know, hey, here's this truth, I'm going to speak this truth to you. And it's their choice to either receive it or reject it. Now, the, the careful thing about it is that Jesus is saying, don't just throw your, your, uh, your uh, what is holy before the dogs and don't just cast your pearls before swine like this guy in this nice picture that I found on the internet. Um, because 
for those who are not yet in the family, the standards that God has do not directly rule their life. They've not allowed it to rule their life. That's why some of the street evangelism that ends up happening, uh, like when you go to a fair and there's always that guy with a sign that says, repent for the end is near, or, or it has some kind of a phrase and they're really well-meaning, um, but oftentimes it comes across more con- condemning than not. There's a lot of people where you're casting pearls before swine, where you're saying, here's this truth about God, this God that you don't even know, you don't even care about. He doesn't have any place of authority in your life because you haven't let that happen. And you're just casting that before them. Now, the encouragement for us, though, is that we could receive that good. We could receive that, that treasured holy thing and we could allow that to transform our lives. But we also need to not get offended when somebody else tramps on it or tramples on it. Because they're not meaning to, they're just caught up in whatever their life is without God's rule in their life. And so we can either receive God's good or reject and rebel against it. The choice is ours. And I think that that's something that for us in the church is also a choice because there's going to be things. Um, to receive Jesus, you don't have to have read the entire Bible. Uh, in fact, maybe you've never even read the Bible before. You can have a faith in Jesus without that, and that's okay. But ultimately, our faith is built on what's in here, and we need to learn from what's in here because without it, we'll be anemic. Now, one of the interesting things for me is that uh, it's good that we have the Gideons here today. Um, It wasn't until I was 18 that I had actually read through the four Gospels. Um, I never actually knew what Jesus said. I knew bits and pieces from the stories growing up in Sunday school. I was raised in the church. But I had never actually set out to read what the Gospels had to say because I just took it on faith and here we go. And it wasn't until there was a Gideon's presentation at my church where somebody had mentioned this story of a soldier who, uh, you know, broke his ankle on some training exercise and was, had to sit out or something. And he had this little Gideon's Testament, and he started in Matthew. And in one day, he got through the entire New Testament. And then the next day, he did the same thing again because what is he going to do? He's got this sprain or this break or something. And by the end of it, he gave his life to Christ. And that inspired me. And I thought, you know, I have this time on my break from Connects Auto Parts. Hey, I could go do this. Like, I, you know, on my break, I could sit down and read a little bit of the Gospels. And so I started. And that started on my journey of trying to figure out what did Jesus really say? What does the Bible actually have to say about things? Because all too often, uh, you know, we receive this faith in faith and then there's things that come up that rub against the things that we were raised with or the things that we naturally because we're in the world it it doesn't fit right with what we think and so 
then we're faced with the choice, are we going to allow God's word to say what it says and we submit under that or are we going to reject it? And I'm going to leave that with you for you to decide, but that's just a very real dynamic. Now, continue on. Next slide. The beautiful thing to me is that we have a king who led by example. There's a verse in Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, uh, where the writer says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God didn't just create this standard and have this standard without expecting or without putting his money where his mouth is. He saw our condition He knew that we couldn't do it on our own. And so he came down as Jesus to live a perfect life, be tempted in every way we are. And what he did is even though we did not deserve his grace and his kindness, he still made that sacrifice for for us. And he practiced self-sacrifice instead of self-righteousness. He could have just said, I have the standard. Why aren't you measuring up to this? Well, good luck, kid. But instead, he said, no, 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 no. I'm going to identify with you, and I'm going to make a way for you to be with me. And so he led by example this idea of, of not being the one to cast the first stone, but to show us grace and mercy. Even though he is the one, the only one in all the universe that ever has been or ever will be, who has the right to condemn me and the right to condemn you, he decided to show you compassion and mercy. And like it says in James Oh, I don't have the verse there. I think it's uh, James 16. It's somewhere in James uh, 4, 16, where it says, uh, mercy triumphs over judgment. And that triumph was made at the cross, where God satisfied all, you know, the payment of our sin and satisfied it with uh, his pure life. Our king led by example. Go to the next slide. So how do we live this out? Living in light of that compassion and mercy. There's two application points that I want to just give as, as a quick uh, summary. So compassion and mercy are at the heart of God's justice. That's awesome. That's good. Now in Matthew seven twelve we read, so in everything... Uh, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And so what often gets coined the golden rule, um, that's something we should be doing. And in the phrase, judge not that you be not judged, and the measure that you 
measure things with, will be given, you'll be measured with, that kind of a phrase. That's the negative of Jesus just saying, look, do to others what you would have them do to you. So if you don't want to be accused of something, don't be an accuser. If you don't want to be critiqued or you wouldn't like being critiqued, don't be a critical spirit. Don't even entertain that and strive towards that compassionate, empathetic way like Jesus. And the second is like it from Micah chapter 6, verse 8, where the prophet says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? And the prophet answered, To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And those three things, I believe, will help us not be that accusing voice in somebody's life that might drive them farther away from the Lord. If we act justly, taking the log out of our own eye, asking God to help us live a, a, a right and just life, if we love mercy, you know, we love the mercy of God and we love giving it away to others and showing them that grace that we've been given, and that we practice humility just like Jesus did. I think in that way, we can live in the light of compassion and mercy and not be a judging people, and yet still maintain that God does have a standard and that God's way is the perfect way, and he wants his family to make strides towards that. And so I know we have a closing song. I've ran long today. I apologize. Um, but with that, would you stand with me? And I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll send you off to the potluck with a blessing. Father God, I thank you that you are good. I thank you that you are pure and holy and right and true. And God, I confess to you all the times when I've been too proud to see the log in my own eye. When I've been so quick to point out the splinters that's in my kid's eye or, or in somebody that I meet or maybe I make a judgment call against somebody without even knowing what their story is, God, I confess that to you. And Lord, I submit myself to you because I know your way is good. Continue to teach me your way of compassion and mercy. Lord, help us as a people be marked by that. Help us to show your love to others through the way that we we live and we engage with each other. Lord, I pray that you would grow our church family and the church family at large here in Florence. And God, that we would see more and more people come to know you. And Lord, I also lift up our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. And God, uh, just the horror and, and the tragedy that they are facing right now. I pray that you would give them strength, that you would give them endurance to see this through. 
I pray for continued courage for, uh, for President Zelensky um, against this imposing threat, and I pray for uh, the protection of the Ukrainian people. I also lift up uh, those in Russia, God, who are not a part of this this attack and this war, and they're kind of like innocent bystanders as well. God, I pray that you would give them courage to stand for what's true and that they would continue to do that. And Lord, that they would continue to stand um, even when it means certain death. And Lord, help us as we watch from afar. Lord, help us know how we can continue to partner in prayer and uh, through the missionary efforts of of those who are going and helping and being in aid uh, for all the refugees. Um, and with all that, God, we just, we lift this week to you. We need you. Oh, how we need you. And so, God, we, we yield to your plans this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, thank you so much for joining us today. There is a potluck downstairs for those who are interested. Um, and as we go from this place, uh, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Have a great week.